following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. But when you come to this story, that uh, it's just such a close repeat of exactly what happened when Abraham went to Egypt. And uh, very similar language, very similar plot, very similar events. Um, And let me just review the story briefly. Uh, What's at stake here, and to get the context, is in in chapters uh, 17, 18, and 19, uh, very specifically and clearly, God again restates his promise that Abraham will have a child, a son. Uh, Now he gets a name. His name is Isaac. And God spells out clearly in detail how he was going to get this child. Now before, you know, it was in Egypt and all, uh, God hadn't spelled out clearly and specifically that the child would come through Sarah and through the loins, through the the offspring of Abraham, not not adopted, not Lot, not his nephew. But now it's all very clear and and very explicit, okay? He says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of this son. You're going to have a son and his name will be Isaac. He says to uh, Sarah, Sarah, you are going to have this son. You're going to be the child's mother. And uh, both times, Abraham and Sarah both laugh, which uh, is the meaning of Isaac's name. It means laughter. And uh, so his very name is uh, a reminder of this very clear, direct, and specific promise from God. Uh, So Abraham travels to uh, the kind of the southern regions of Canaan in the Negev desert, uh, we don't know why he moved this time, uh, if his flocks had overgrazed where he was, we don't know, but he goes to a new place, and again, he resorts to his old standby line. Ever since he left his father's home, he and Sarah had made this agreement that they would tell everybody, their brother and sister, technically true, um, but a, a deception, okay? They were more than just brother and sister, a deception, and uh, again, and apparently they've been doing this all along everywhere, but two times it, it almost cost them the promise, right? Because Abimelech uh, takes Sarah and uh, brings him to his harem uh, to marry her. And right there it compromises God's very promise, okay? So what's at stake is not only Abraham's honor, Sarah's honor and safety and purity, uh, all those kind of things, but what's really at stake is God's very promise, right? Right after God just told them. This is what's happening. And uh, Abraham, in, in his deception, uh, really jeopardizes the very purpose and plan of God in his life with Sarah. Uh, God, though, uh, does not allow this to happen, and he intervenes, comes to Abimelech in a, in a vision, and speaks directly to him that uh, he is guilty. Now, at first, uh, the first part of the story, it, it seems that this all happens like the day Abimelech bring Sarah home. In fact, the New Living translates it that night. Uh, Literally, it just says one night. Uh, And as you get towards the end of the story, it seems apparent that this may have been going on longer than just a few days because all of Bimelech's household, his wife, wives, whatever, his household, have all become unable to bear children. Now, I don't know how how long it takes you to figure that out or what uh, infirmity came upon Abimelech and his household. But this had been going on long enough that, uh, that it was evident they were under some kind of curse from God. 
And so God appears and he uh, confronts Abimelech. And Abimelech swears his innocence. And uh, much as Pharaoh, he said, look, I, I'm an innocent man. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And God warns him. And he says, that's why I am giving you a second chance. And Abimelech, uh, to his credit, fully restores Sarah. And he does it not only by giving her back to Abraham, but he gives uh, Abraham great wealth. And unlike the Pharaoh, Pharaoh apparently had given these gifts as a kind of a dowry. Uh, Abimelech gives these gifts after he's been caught. Okay, So this was not a dowry. It's really somewhat of a guilt offering. Uh, in spite of in spite of Abraham's great deception, uh, Abimelech actually responds with a great deal of grace. And he gives this great gift of cattle and servants to Abraham. And then he says, unlike Pharaoh, Pharaoh kicked, uh, you know, Pharaoh canceled his visa and said, get out of here. Uh, Abimelech says, look before you. you. You have free pick of my land. Okay? You can live anywhere you want in my kingdom. And, uh, and as we see, the, uh, the, the blessing and curse formula in Genesis starts to carry out with Abimelech. Abimelech is one who chooses to bless Abraham, and God in turn blesses Abimelech. And finally, Abimelech, and so he restores possessions, he gives him land, and then finally he gives this enormous gift of a thousand shekels of silver. Uh, a huge gift. Uh, to give you kind of a perspective, when Abraham bought the field, at the Oak of Mamre, where he buries Sarah, he paid 400 shekels. Okay, in Shechem, he bought a uh, piece of land for 100 shekels. So here's 1,000 pieces of silver, 1,000 shekels, a chunk of money. And this money was given uh, to restore Sarah's reputation. And as a statement, a declaration of Sarah's purity, and he says, I have, I have made her... Uh, Really, her, I've declared her innocence by this gift. Okay, so he really goes—he goes very far to do the just and right thing, to restore Sarah, to make sure everybody is clear that he did not violate her, that uh, that she was innocent in all this, and uh, he honors both Abraham and Sarah in this way. And what's remarkable in the middle of this, you know, Abraham—you know—we all got to say. If it wasn't for us being such sinners ourselves, we would really wonder what was going on with Abraham. We all kind of know how this works, right? Uh, we sin. We mess up. And in the midst of this story, we see Abraham doing this again. And in, in, in Egypt, you, know, you could give a little more maybe compassion because he was fairly new with God. Uh, he hadn't been walking with God for many years. But, but now we see Abraham in a much different light. Here's an Abraham who's had great victories and success. Uh, he is definitely growing in, in his knowledge of God, in, in righteousness. He, uh, he's developing in his faith, and we see a much different Abraham until certain circumstances come up. And in those circumstances, he reverts back to, to square one. And even though he's been walking with God for 25 years... He does the same thing again. Gives his wife away, okay, and, and lies and he deceives, and you just think, what is going on? One of the things, and I've titled this message "Abraham the Prophet." One of the things that's just striking in this story is that two times God uh, declares um, Abraham to be his prophet. He names him once as prophet, and then at the end, Abraham fulfills a role as a prophet. 
first time, what's interesting is this is the first time this term is used in Scripture. Of course, Genesis being beginnings, there's a lot of firsts, uh, and that is not necessarily remarkable. But it's interesting that Abraham gets named as a prophet in this story, right? It's like of all the passages to choose, you know, why not when he was praying and interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah and this great dialogue with God about being just and righteous, and clearly he's fulfilling the role there as a prophet as God reveals to him his plan and purpose. But, But he's not named a prophet there. Instead, he's named the prophet here. I just find that really interesting, and uh, I think there's good lessons in there for us. So let's look at those. And let me just uh, pull out a couple basic principles from the story uh, to encourage us, I hope. First off, uh, how, did, how, does, how does Abraham keep getting himself in trouble in this situation? Well, clearly, his problem is he's living in fear. And there are areas of his life still controlled more by f- fear than by faith, right? And that's what's going on with Abraham. Even though he's mostly walking by faith, even though he's learning to trust God and walk in obedience, and we see that over and over again, there still are weak, weak links in his armor, so to speak. There are still circumstances in which Abraham feels especially vulnerable, and he resorts to his old standbys of protecting himself. And uh, I'm very encouraged by this, because all of us... Me, I won't speak for you, but for me personally, uh, I still have areas that have always been a a source of fear for me, right? Uh, And, you know, I think with Abraham, before we are too hard and too critical and judgmental of of him, I think this is so deeply ingrained in him, he he may not even really see it so well until Abimelech starts kind of ripping on him and saying, what did you do to me? And then Abraham starts feeling kind of guilty. Until then, I'm not so sure how much Abraham's even aware of what he's doing. And uh, we do have, and we do live in a world where uh, things are scary, and we grow up as, as babies being born into you know, this crazy place where we don't understand things. And from birth on, we deal with fears, right? We're afraid of the dark. We're afraid of a lot of noises. Uh, and some of those fears get embedded in us. And we develop ways of, of coping with those fears, right, very early on. And uh, kind of the basic response to trouble is fight, flight, or freeze. Um, depending on your personality, depends on how you decide to deal with fear. Some people deal with fear by being very aggressive. It's like, you know, you just beat up what you're afraid of, right? Other people run from what they're afraid of. Other people just get paralyzed by it. And we kind of build those into our personalities, and they get very deeply rooted, right? They really become part of our very personality and makeup. And oftentimes, we are quite blind to it, right? Our wife or our husband or our kids, our friends can probably identify how we deal with these things much more than we do. Because when it happens, you know, we don't analyze this. It just, we just do it. And I love how Abraham, you know, he tells his wife from day one when they left his father, he says, okay, here's the deal. Here's my defense mechanism. We're going to lie uh, that you're my sister. Okay, and that does two things. One, of, one, one is that he saw, you know, he really saw Sarah as both a threat to him because of her beauty, but also his shield. And here's the deal. He goes, you know, they're going to want to kill me to get you, 
But if we're not married, we're just brother and sister, they're going to do great things because you are so beautiful. Right? And so he really kind of uses his wife as his shield. He says, look, you're beautiful. You know, people will, people will stand in awe of you. I'm going to hide behind you, and that's going to be my protection. Right? And so it becomes a part of their story. It becomes part of how they deal with life every day. Uh, we all do this, and uh, we all feel threats. And the reality is that our fears are oftentimes justified. Uh, Abraham lived, well, he just saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's not, that, it's not that bad things didn't happen. It's not that he didn't live in a place where there was something to be afraid of. Certainly there were real fears. And we, we deal with the same, same thing. Uh, the world is a scary place. Uh, and so Abraham finds himself in his life being dominated and controlled by these fears. Um, what, what we know about fear, though, is that often, even though they may be founded on some truth, often they are irrational and unfounded. And while uh, what Abraham feared may have been a reality in Sodom and Gomorrah, Abimelech presents himself quite differently. Uh, he says, and when, when Abimelech confronts him, you know, Abraham explains or justifies his fear this way. He says, this, I, I was sure this was a godless, wicked place. Right? A great way to build friends and influence people, right? <laughs> well, I'm basically afraid of you because I think you're an absolutely wicked person. Um, well, was that true? Was his fear based on reality? Well, it clearly wasn't. As you look at the character of Abimelech, he proves himself to be a man of in- integrity and even God-fearing. Uh, God did give him a chance instead of wiping him out because he was not like the Sodomites. He was not like the king of Sodom who would not listen to God's instruction. In fact, in every way, Abimelech actually shows himself to be a very humble, gracious man of integrity. Uh, he does the right thing at every turn. And in fact, when he calls his advisors together, it says they were terrified. Uh, meaning, we could translate as they were people who lived in the fear of God. They recognized that if they didn't live by a certain moral standard, if they didn't follow the rules of integrity and character, that they could come under God's judgment. And so they were fearful of that. They, they lived in fear of God and they were respecting, you could say, law-abiding citizens. Right? So in many ways, Abraham's fear is very unfounded and, uh, and very stereotypical and prejudiced, right? Um, he assumes that everybody who's not him is evil and wicked. Okay? Now, do we see that anywhere in the world? Right? Uh, do any denominations think that every other denomination are all dying and going to hell? Or any religious sects think that all other religions are wicked terrorists? Right? Uh, it's everywhere. We see this everywhere. The world's controlled and dominated by fears based on ter- stereotypes of other people. Uh, those are bad people. So the North Koreans, you know, launch missiles at the South Koreans because they live in fear of these prejudices and these stereotypes, and and, uh, and they're oftentimes irrational and irrelevant. And the result is that it turns it, the irony. The irony is that it really turns uh, Abraham into the kind of person he fears they are. Right? It turns him into a conniver and a cheat and a deceiver. Uh, And he brings on Abimelech great destruction. God says, because of what you've done, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to wipe out your nation. Okay, So 
the very things that Abraham feared of other people, he's now doing uh, to Abimelech. Right? So fear is clearly not a good thing. What are you afraid of? What fears in your life are keeping you from really walking in faith and trusting God? Well, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of fears. But I can identify, and maybe you can identify, with Abraham's fear of people. Uh, bottom line, a lot of our fears may be rooted in our fear of people. Now, this is one that speaks specifically to me because it's something that is very much ingrained in my personality. I've lived always in fear of people. And uh, the church has not helped me with this, right? Because when I first came to Christ, I was in a church that was very much, uh, you know, back in the old days, was very into the whole separation thing. And they believed that, you know, when you came to Christ, you were to separate yourselves from the world because, why? Well, the world is evil and wicked, right? And you've got to be afraid of those people. Well, I bought into this because it was my personality. I was afraid of people anyway. Now I have a good reason to be afraid of people. They're wicked, and uh, we were supposed to go on. on uh, we were supposed to go soul winning, but they had so terrified me of people. There's no way in the world I was going to go soul winning because I was sure they were going to eat me, right? And uh, I, I lived in terror, and it fed into my personality. And, and Satan or whatever got a hold of this, and for many years, and, and to this day, I, I live with certain fears about people, and it it makes ministry difficult. <laughs> You know, reaching the lost when you're terrified to speak to them is a problem. And I remember, I mean, to this day, I remember to my shame uh, living in one place where we had these neighbors who uh, really started to reach out to me, you know. But I knew they were wicked sinners. I knew they could not be Christians. And he would, would try to make friends with me, and he, he uh, actually had some interest in hobbies I was very interested in. But every time he tried to talk to me, I just was paralyzed. And instead of building just a normal friendship, I would run back and hide in my house, you know. And, uh, you know, you can't, that's not what God calls us to, is it? Or we can't be crippled by fear. I remember coming to Thailand, same problems, you know. I just was terrified by Thai people. And uh, it was really limiting in my ability to learn the language. Because for two years, I just wouldn't speak to Thai people at all, right? Even though I studied Thai for two solid years, uh, I, would, I wouldn't even order food. I mean, I was just well, I'm exaggerating a bit. But, uh, you know, what fears kick in that keep us from being what God wants us to be? And you see Abraham, it's easy to see this with Abraham and say, you know, Abraham, you're, you're missing what God calls you to. And God, and you know, in the middle of this passage, God says, this is my prophet Abraham. What did God call Abraham to? Right? He called him as a prophet to his people and to the world. And we'll talk in a minute what that means. But um, by his fear, by letting those deeply ingrained things still control his life, he's not being effective. Well, what was the cure for it? Well, we don't really see the cure in, in this passage, and we don't necessarily know if Abraham ever got over this. Although... When he had a child with Sarah, it would have been much more difficult to lie about this, okay? She's my sister that we had a child together. That, that doesn't, that does, you know, marrying your sister is one thing. Having a child with your sister, you don't tell people that, okay? So that was the end of that lie as soon as Isaac is born. Uh, but what, what, what do we know from other places of Scripture that would have helped him or help us? Well, bottom line is the cure is having faith in the goodness of God, right? 
what was missing in Abraham's life uh, is that God was very committed to this promise. Right? And we'll see this in a minute. Uh, God's absolute commitment to carry out and fulfill his promise in Abraham's life. Okay, that's what Abraham needed to be confident in. Okay, that uh, he was called by God to carry out this mission of being the father of a nation and that God was going to do this. Okay, and so we don't need to live in fear of man because God is much bigger than that. And God is able to carry out his promise. Uh, Also, the flip side of that is really seeing not only God's goodness in his promise to us, but seeing God's love and goodness towards all all of creation. We need to see all of God's people as God's people. Not in the sense that I'm a universalist, that God's saving everybody. But God loves people. Okay, And as you see God dealing with Abimelech, uh, even dealing with the people of Sodom, God deals in fairness. Okay, God is not an angry God just with, you know, anxiously waiting to find people he can zap. Okay, that's not the heart of God, is it? God is good and loving and where, whenever and however he loves to redeem and save his people. He loves to protect. He loves to show his kindness to all people all over. And I think one of the places where we have got ourselves in trouble is we see ourselves as called and, and chosen and God's children and we don't recognize God's love and heart and compassion towards people everywhere. Right? That was Jonah's problem. That was the problem with Israel throughout its history. They saw themselves as God's holy chosen people and therefore everybody else were somehow hated by God. And so they build up these fears and crazy thoughts. Right? We need to see all people as loved by God and we need to see ourselves as the agents of God's redemption for those people. Uh, God tells Abimelech, you know, you need to give Abraham his wife back, and then you need to ask him to pray for you. I just think that's crazy, okay? It's like, this guy just lied to me. He's a deceiver. He's brought all this trouble on me, and you want me to believe that he's some kind of holy guy that you're going to listen to and answer prayer? God says, well, yeah, right? He's my prophet, right? Wow, that just seems backwards, right? But that's what God's doing here. And God wanted Abraham to have a heart uh, to carry out God's love and goodness to the world around him. Not to live in fear of it, but to be one through whom the world will be blessed through his life. Right. Uh, so that's where Abraham starts off, living in fear. But we really do see God dealing much differently. And really in this story, the second thing I want to talk about is we see God's commitment to his promise. God absolutely committed to his promise. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because it's real. it should be obvious to us. But just as an encouragement, uh, God says, he comes to Abraham in, in the dream and he says, he says, I, you know, you're a dead man. You've taken this married woman. And Abimelech pleads. He says, I didn't know. Please don't hurt me. Uh, I didn't know. And what does God say? God says, I have kept you from sleeping with her. Okay, I have prevented you from getting yourself in more trouble than you already have. Right? Uh, and Abraham should have understood this. But the principle is this, that God is absolutely 100% committed to accomplishing his promise to us. Right? Uh, 
God, and, it, and it's crazy that Abraham, again, almost, almost ruins the whole thing, right? Left up to Abraham in his own devices, he would have completely sabotaged the whole purpose and plan of God, right? But God's bigger than that, isn't he? And God is firmly commit, uh, deeply committed to accomplishing and carrying out all of his promises and plans in our life. And the good news is that not, only, not even we can mess that up, right? Not even we in our stupidity uh, can do things so detrimental that God can't fix it. Right? Now, of course, that, that means and assumes that we are people of faith. Now, of course, for a person who rejects God and uh, does not walk in faith and turns away, you know, God's not going to drag them uh, against their will. But for those of us who are seeking God, for those of us who are... Um, at some level, trying to do this right, uh, God is bigger than our mistakes. And we see that here with Abraham intervening and uh, taking very clear and specific action to make sure that, uh, that they don't wreck it. Right? And he intervenes with Abimelech, and he sovereignly steps in. And not only do we see his commitment to his promise, but we really see his commitment to dealing with mercy. Right? He is very merciful, uh, first of all, to Abimelech. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And the reality is that even though Abimelech saw himself as kind of the saintly person, by the end of the story, we find out that, you know, God may have had more to do with this than Abimelech did. That Abimelech's attentions may not have been all that glorious. And at some point, even in the end, Abimelech uh, takes some blame for it. Uh, enough blame that he coughs up a thousand silver coins to cover his guilt. All right? So at some level, he doesn't feel 100% blameless in this. Right? Uh, you don't pay a thousand bucks, whatever, however much money it was, if you're convinced of your innocence. Uh, but God is merciful. Right? He says, you know, I've been like, I am giving you a chance to reconcile, to restore. I'm giving you a chance to repent and to change what you have done wrong. Uh, and God is merciful. Praise God that He does not give us everything we deserve. And He gives us opportunities to turn, turn around. He gives us opportunities to change course. And He does reveal to us our errors. Right? Uh, he reveals to us when we are doing things we shouldn't. Uh, thirdly, we see God's commitment to His grace. Um, <clears throat> Uh, if mercy is getting, not getting what you do deserve, uh, you know, people say grace is getting what you don't deserve. And you see that with Abraham. Uh, God graciously, again, blesses Abraham through Abimelech. He gets more cattle, more servants, more money. He gets access to this new land. Um, God is very gracious in the life of Abraham. And interestingly... We don't see God himself confronting uh, Abraham's sin. Uh, now, Abimelech does. <laughs> and Abimelech is pretty um, clear in pointing out uh, Abraham's deception and lies and the troubles he's, he's caused. But God deals very graciously with Abraham. And in the midst of this, he names him as his prophet. And he says, look, my guy on earth is Abraham. If you want help, you better make friends with my friend Abraham because that's the avenue that you will receive blessing and grace. Right? 
And so God just deals so incredibly gracious with Abraham. Uh, really, in this again, this should be great encouragement to us. Uh, you know, God could deal much more harshly with us than He does, right? Uh, daily, we ought to become, we ought to be aware of how fear, how sin, how failure creep into our life. Uh, and, and sadly, for many people, I think they feel that they're not worthy of grace. And uh, we don't take Romans 8 one to heart that says, there is therefore now no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. Right? And how often do we let Satan tell us, no, you are no good, and you shouldn't be in ministry. You shouldn't, you shouldn't even call yourself a Christian because you are just a failure. But that's not what grace is about, is it? Grace means that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. And through faith in what he has done, everything is covered, right? Everything is covered so that Paul can come to Romans 8.1 and say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, if you're here this morning and you feel, you know, you can identify all too well with Abraham and his mess-ups, and you just feel inadequate, right? Some of that can be honest repentance and confession. But sometimes that kind of inadequacy can be very much lack of faith in the grace and goodness of God. Right? So we need to be very careful that we acknowledge that, yes, indeed, we do mess up. But it's through the blood of Christ and His work that all of my sins are forgiven, and I am standing before God and before the world in the righteousness of Christ. Right? There is nothing I have to be ashamed or afraid of. I confess our sins. He is faithful to forgive, to cleanse. We stand before God in grace. We minister before God by grace. And that's where Abraham was. Third lesson out of this passage. Uh, The the, the story breaks down into basically two halves. Uh, The first half is, is the vision or the dream that Abimelech has where God, God and Abimelech have this dialogue, right? And then uh, the second half of the story is basically Abimelech's dialogue with Abraham. And it breaks down into two basic sections. Uh, and there's a lot of parallels uh, that, f- that make the story fit together very tightly. Uh, what's interesting is that each of these sections ends, with this, ends this way. The first section ends like this. He says, Now return the woman to her husband, and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet, and then you will live. Okay, that's where the first story ends, the first section. This is how the second section ends. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his uh, female servants so they could have children. For the Lord had caused the woman to become infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. Both sections end with this phrase. Abraham prayed uh, in the role as a prophet of God. Right? Uh, I think that's significant. I think that is the, is, the, is the author pointing out the real point of the story. Right? He's not really trying to just illustrate what a doofus Abraham is right? and how he screws up all the time. Although scriptures, Scripture never hides the faults of, of its characters. Right? But he's not just trying to show us that you know, Abraham's a screw-up. He's trying to show us something much more significant and much more important. And that is that God's method 
of bringing his blessing to the world is now going to be through his people. And that's what he said in Genesis 12. Uh, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Okay, Abraham is now going to be the channel of God's blessing to the world. So God's blessing Abraham not just so that Abraham is blessed, but Abraham becomes the source, the door, through which God's goodness will come to all the world and all the nations. And so, you know, we jump ahead to, your, you know, to the birth of Christ, and we see that fulfilled in Jesus as the ultimate heir and descendant of Abraham, which is true. But I believe that God, God's purpose was much greater than that, and his purpose was that Abraham would, during his lifetime, be the channel of God's blessing to the world. So you see in uh, chapters 18 and 19, Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. And his... And it's very clear, uh, Lot is rescued and saved as a result of Abraham's clear intercession for him. Right? Now, of course, Sodom was beyond even God's mercy. Okay? There comes a point where God will not override the, the will, the stubborn will of rebellious and sinful people. But God called Abraham to intercede on the behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he does that. Now we see it again. Here's, here's uh, Abraham. And uh, I want you to get, to get the full picture of this. You've got to get the whole scene here. Okay? First off, it's very clear that God, and God is not saying that Abraham is going to become a witch doctor. Okay? That somehow Abraham is going to have some skill in himself to heal people. Okay? He doesn't say that. In fact, God's very clear that he alone is the source of healing uh, throughout the passage, it makes it clear that God closes the wombs. He makes them infertile. Uh, the story of Genesis is about God opening and closing, giving birth and giving life, right? The whole story of Abraham and Sarah. It's kind of ironic, you know, throughout this passage, God keeps saying, you know, I'm the one who gives the ability to have children. Uh, and I take away that capacity. So clearly, God is the great physician. God is the one who alone can save and you look at this story, and not only, not only that, but God is also sovereign over creation. He intervenes on the behalf of, of Sarah and Abraham. He intervenes on the behalf of the promise. He confronts uh, Abimelech in a vision, and he speaks directly to Abimelech to prevent him from sin. Uh, he gives clear instructions about what Abimelech needs to do to get help, right? But at the end of the story, what does God say? He says, you know, if you want help, you need Abraham to pray for you. To me, that's just remarkable, remarkable. God says, look, in the world I am now moving forward in, I'm going to raise up prophets. I'm going to raise up men of God, women of God, through whom I am going to work by means of their prayer and intercession. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and it's interesting that in, in uh, the first reference where God uses this term uh, prophet, it's used in, in connection with the ministry of prayer. Right? A lot of times we think of the prophet being these guys, you know, raining down fire and hell and brimstone and bringing God's message. But an important early ministry of the prophet was prayer. They were to pray for the nations. They were to pray for Israel. They were to pray for its leaders. Right? And so here... You see Abraham in his critical role that he will bless the nations through his role as a prophet, praying, mediating, 
God's grace to mankind, right? Uh, remarkable. And one of the reasons I think Abraham hadn't got it yet is he did not yet understand who he was before men. He did not understand who he was before God. Okay? He was God's prophet. He was God's called and chosen agent in the world who would stand between man and between God and he would mediate God's grace towards mankind. Right? Uh, was that a role just for Abraham or was it really the way God intended his children to work? Well, I really believe as you look through the rest of Scripture, and especially when we jump into the New Testament, uh, it's clear that we are uh, called a nation of priests. We are a holy priesthood, a royal nation. We are to be God's mediators on this earth. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we stand between a holy, righteous God and mankind as His mediators of His grace. How do we do that? Well, we do that by being hopefully better witnesses than Abraham was and than I have been most of my life, that we get out there and we love people, we show them who God is. But ultimately, it means that we pray for people, right? that we are channels of God's blessing to the world around us through prayer. Uh, I just find it remarkable. I still, in fact, I just I have to keep reading it because I don't even believe it. Why doesn't God just fix the problem himself? Okay, is it that God can't do this? Well, of course it's not. God's proven He can do whatever He wants. But here He's made it clear that He is limiting Himself to work through the prayers of people, of His chosen people. Right? He says, if you want help, you better ask Abraham and he will pray for you. And in the end, that's exactly what happens. Abraham prays to God and then God heals Abimelech and his wife. Right? Uh, to put this in modern day times, okay, put this in our life, how many people is God waiting to work in their life and He's waiting for a believer to pray? Right? And you say, well, God doesn't need our prayers. You're right, He doesn't. You say, well, God could do it without us. You're right, He could do it without us. But for some crazy reason, I don't understand, God has chosen to limit His activity in the world in answer to prayers of us. Right? I think that's the message, and I think that's why uh, it's constructed the way it is, and the author is trying to convince us of this, that it's the way God now works in the world. God has chosen sovereignly in His sovereign power to work through His prophets, work through His people. Uh, now you may say, and you know, we'll end here, well, I don't know if I'm really qualified for that. I don't feel like a prophet. I don't think I'm gifted as a prophet, right? Uh, well, here's the question in Genesis 20. Was Abraham qualified or was he called? Right? Did God make him effective because he had you know, this great, flawless, perfect life? Well, apparently not, right? Because the whole point of the story is Abraham's messing up all over the place, but he is still God's prophet. He is still called as God's agent at that time and that place to be the mediator of his grace to the world. Right. Uh, if you are doing ministry based on your qualifications, you're probably missing the point. Right? If I, if I believe I can get up and talk in front of people because I'm somehow qualified for this, I'm in big trouble. And by the way, I know I'm not qualified for this. Um, that's not why I ever stand up in front of people. Okay? Because I'd rather really not preach, actually, because I'm afraid of people. And the last place you want to be if you're afraid of people is in front of them in a crowd. Right? 
And I remember when I first was preaching, I was in a church and we had a pulpit. I remember just sitting, you know, it was one of the deals where, you know, back in the good old days where you had to put the preacher up on the stage. And I would sit hiding behind the pulpit, making sure nobody could see me. I saying, oh, Lord, please, please bring the rapture now. <laughs> right? Okay? We don't, we don't serve God because we are qualified. That doesn't mean we shouldn't develop gifts and ministries, you know, abilities. But ultimately, we serve because we are called to it. The only reason Abraham was here in this place, in this position, this time, was that God had called him to it. God says, you are my prophet, and this is what I've called you to do. I hear messing it up, Royal, but it doesn't matter. I've still chosen to work through you in answer to prayer. Uh, if you're waiting to get righteous enough to become a prayer warrior, you're going to wait till you're dead. It's going to be too late. Okay? If you're waiting to become you know, zapped with some great gift that you become super spiritual, you know, you're going to wait forever. Okay? If you're going to wait until God calls you, well, He's already called you. That's what I'm here to tell you. He's already called you to ministry. He's already called you to be a mediator of His grace. If you are a child of God, you are called. Right? You are called to pray. You are called to be beseeching the Father on the behalf of those in your world. Right? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this really is just uh, a very encouraging story of your grace uh, your kindness, and, uh, and a reminder of how you've chosen to work in the world. And Lord, we all will, if we're honest, confess that uh, we do mess up. And Lord, we all know well, far too well our own failures, our own doubts. We all know the fears that deep down inside kick in and cause us to do the wrong things to deal with life uh, not in faith, uh, but in ways that do not glorify you. And yet in your mercy and grace you call us. Uh, you call us out to be your ambassadors in the world, to be salt and light, to be your prophets who stand before you and pray on the behalf of this lost and broken world, to pray, pray on the behalf of each other, and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. Uh, Lord, help us not neglect this calling. Uh, help us uh, to not be oblivious to how much is at stake uh, as you called us to this ministry of reconciling the world to you. So Lord, help us to be diligent, uh, both in understanding your grace at work in our life, as well as understanding how we need to be bringing your grace to the world around us. And Lord, that we would begin that uh, by praying, uh, by praying for people we know are in need, uh, by praying for people we may not even know, but that you put on our heart. Uh, Lord, teach us to be the prophets that you called us to be people who stand before you as representatives of this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.